0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health
2: insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
2: There is no digital marketing that you can do that would be more effective. Our print magazine is our biggest marketing tool and our social media platforms are our biggest agents. Beauty is more than the aesthetics. We, we love beautiful things, we love beautiful people, but beauty resonates from
1: what people are, are about and what they stand for. Purpose and profit aren't things that necessarily have to conflict with each other. You can do both and you can do so in a way that's authentic and that resonates with people everywhere. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF Podcast. It's Friday, June 25th. The fashion industry has been taking note of the reinvention of British Vogue. Edward Enninful's new inclusive vision of fashion has played out in the pages of Vogue, but also all over the internet, with recent covers of Billie Eilish and Malala Yousafzai. Not your typical Vogue cover girls. But there has been less discussion on the business transformation at British Vogue. I sat down recently with Vanessa Kingori, who is now the chief business officer overseeing Condé Nast Britain's fashion publications. And she told me about the way she's been translating Edward's vision into a commercial strategy that works. Here's Vanessa Kingori inside fashion. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us. I wanted to start talking about your new role because it's not widely understood, but you've actually recently been installed in the role of chief business officer and your role at Condé Nast is expanding. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what this new role entails, what you'll be responsible for, what your biggest goals and ambitions are?
2: Yeah, gosh. Well, firstly, thank you for having me and thank you for being patient. It's been like the longest courtship to get here. But it feels good to, you know, come to this point with something new to talk about. So we haven't really talked about the expansion of my role. And um, yeah, we've just literally, I think last week, tackled on a new promotion, which is exciting, you know, coming out of pandemic, moving from publishing director of Vogue to chief business officer of both Vogue and style division across Condé Nast, Britain, So that's really looking after our core, most lucrative um, client categories across fashion, beauty and jewellery for all of our brands. And it's really due to the success of the revenue transformation of British Vogue, which has been incredible and really um, exciting to lead and be a part. We've really, in sort of three and a half years that I've been there, expanded our revenue streams, um, expanded our messaging and purpose, diversified, digitalized, totally changed teams, totally changed uh, the ways that we work. So,
1: So that's brought me to this point. It's really exciting. Well, congratulations on the new role. And as Chief Business Officer, my first question is, How's business? You know, it's been such a tumultuous year in the global economy. You know, the economy here in the UK has been hit particularly hard with, you know, some of the longest and strictest lockdowns anywhere in the world. What has business been like for Conde Nast Britain in this environment?
2: It's a roller coaster. I mean, honestly, last year was the most exhausting work year of my life, but also kind of the most exhilarating because. Sometimes out of challenge, you kind of are forced to come up with new ways of thinking, new solutions. But of course, we had, as you said, these extensive lockdowns. We had many stores who couldn't operate, stores who brands that were not yet proficient in e-com, you know, in the luxury space, which was a huge problem for us and a lot of consultancy and handholding in that space. And then, of course, we had Brexit. And then we've had, you know, what we call the kind of luxury tax with the lack of tax breaks, for kind of luxury shoppers. So it has been, to be honest, one challenge after another. We fared very, very well. In 2020, I was focused on British Vogue. We also had to, of course, learn to work from home. And be in contact with all of our clients and learn how to share and create um, remotely, which is really hard. But we had an incredible year, a stonking year actually, largely because we sort of said we can't do what we did before. So we have a business that is on the road to becoming digital first in cost Condinas, Britain, but it's not yet digital first, really, across the portfolio. And so, well, when you can't sell print magazines as easily, people aren't flying and traveling. They're not going to travel points and picking up their favorite magazine. They're not going to Waitrose and grabbing a couple of magazines. The newsstands don't really exist. Well, then we can't just do what we did before. So we had to come up with a lot of solutions, a lot of virtual events, a lot of incredible things. Like we did our first AR filter, which was to help the e-com industry. And we did that with Mac and we've done it with Ferragamo where businesses came to us and said, we have specific challenges where people can't come to the beauty counter. Either we're closed and even when we're open, we can't. People can't try on our sunglasses or our earrings and know if they fit. And we can't book a page of advertising to fix that, right? So what can you do? How can you help us with this specific problem now? And so we just the mix of things that we could do. Okay, well, let's allow people to try on your lipstick shade or your shades or your necklace virtually. And let's create new ways of connecting to consumers and fulfilling the needs of brands that's over and above kind of,
1: Appetizing. Right. It's interesting that you talk about those shifts and kind of taking the constraints of the pandemic to innovate. So when whenever I hear things like AR filters, I always wonder, like, well, it sounds great, but did consumers actually use it to connect with Mac and Ferragamo? Yeah,
2: yes. Yeah. Otherwise, we would never have anyone rebook. (laughs) So this is where the beauty industry is so helpful because um they tend to be much more experimental, you know, than, than particularly luxury fashion who really want like tried and tested and so on. But it was cute as well because people were missing those interactions. And so social media, this was kind of driven by Instagram, was suddenly a way to kind of share with people and have people comment and say, I love the other shade and this one looks great on you. And it's just created human connection in a, a time that we couldn't. And a sense of frivolity, frankly, when everything was really serious and sales, you know, because it's a relatively easy thing to treat yourself to once you've kind of interacted, then it's like it's an easy step to then buy lipsticks so that worked really really well and now we're doing it with a fine jeweler we're doing it with ferragamo we've got another few as well because in some territories there are still challenges with getting to store and in some sectors of the industry like beauty it's still stores are open but of course they're not able to interact in the same way
1: you know i spent some of my career before bof as a consultant you know and what i would do is companies would come to me and they would have a question or a challenge or a problem that they wanted some help thinking about and you know so much of what you've just said sounds a little bit like what i used to do at mckinsey you know which was companies come with problems and you come up with you know solutions and ways for them to think about those problems you know how much of the the work that you do as a publisher at vogue is now about providing advice and guidance to your clients and understanding and In fact, helping them with their strategies. It's such a good observation, actually, and a good
2: point. I'm working with McKinsey a lot as well. And I loved watching jewelry report with them. Yeah, it's consultancy. You know, before we can unlock these huge budgets that we're able to Access with these clients. They're not sort of saying we're going to hand over a million pounds or half a million because we like your content. That's the beginning. And then along the way, there is a lot of problem solving in what we're doing now, whether it be how to connect with consumers, how to create emotional connection, or how to overcome a practical, you know, whether it be access or so on issues. So so much more of my time is around that human connection, making a connection with the client. And then advising, sharing insights, particularly because of what Edward has done with Vogue is so brilliant and so much around purpose. It's around social justice. And brands often want to get into this space, they want to have these conversations, they're doing great projects. But there is always a little bit of nervousness, of backlash, and cancel if they've ever perhaps missed that or got it wrong or if they just feel like we're new into having these conversations outwardly it's something we normally talk internally so there's a lot at stake in those sorts of conversations where we may be creating content for a brand and talking about big difficult subjects you know when I started in this industry, um, firstly, publishers were just caring about ad revenue, which is completely not what I do now. It's really about the health of the brand, you know, and the longevity. And secondly, we would, you know, say, OK, can you book your whatever it is, 15 DPSs in the print magazine? And then we would go out for a lovely lunch. And I, I don't really know what we did for the rest of the time, <laughs> I think about it, you know, but it's much more enjoyable actually doing it this way. I learned so much.
1: It's interesting because as your role, you know, evolves into being more of an advisor, it also helps you to understand the business challenges that so many of these companies are facing. And you, you mentioned earlier, you know, not everyone is as digitally savvy as they perhaps needed to be to kind of really see some of the opportunities amid the pandemic. I know that Edward's philosophy around content, you know, his purpose, as you called it, is the social justice and inclusion that he's advocating for in the pages of Vogue, that's become a big part of your business strategy as well. And I I just wondered how you could tell us a bit about how that strategy evolved when you and Edward first started working together and then also how you navigate some of the pitfalls, because, of course... When you're addressing these issues commercially, you also have to ensure that those issues are being addressed properly inside your own organization as well. And it's, it's been a tumultuous year for Condé Nast in some respects as it pertains to some of these topics. So how do you navigate that fine balance between, you know, talking about these issues, but also, you know, walking the talk?
2: Yeah, I think um, it's a really, really good point, And it's something I think about all the time. And when I first started in the role at Vogue, I think that people thought I was a little bit mad because there were some brands that we just said, we can't work with them in that way anymore. You know, everybody wanted to do an event. Everybody wanted to do branded content because they wanted to align to the narrative and the magic that Edward was creating. But for us and lots of brands, I mean, Lots and lots of brands were being called out, you know, for for getting it wrong in different areas. You know, things that spring to mind are, you know, on sustainability and greenwashing, of course, on race and ethnicity. um, And 2020 being a kind of pivotal year, you know, after the murder of George Floyd, that these conversations were coming about. And we've been able to grow our revenue by being much more discerning with the brands that we partner very closely with. I have the same approach to brands as I do to people. I don't expect perfection because it doesn't exist, right? So no one's kind of, you know, squeaky clean and uh, and has never got it wrong. And I saw that very much in 2020, in that moment post-George Floyd, where people were saying, I don't understand. Look, I've been the person that said the wrong thing, but I want to do better. And so my kind of approach is... The brands and people who, when they know better, do better and who are able to say to us, at least in private, we didn't nail it there. We didn't get it right. This is the plan. Do you think this is a good plan, a terrible plan, what have you? We can work with those brands. The brands that we struggle with are the brands who, even in private, say it wasn't a mistake. We didn't do it. Da 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 da. There is no action to be taken because we didn't get it wrong. I remember Edward and I having a meeting with a brand who came in and basically said it's all lies. <laughs> it's like it was one of those situations where it was pretty crystal clear, you know. And so you know, in a time where the predominant companies that we deal with were facing sort of moments of reckoning on one of these issues, what I was really looking for, the brands who were saying, we want to do better, help us, help us do better. So the fear was we would lose lots of revenue because, you know, you're making brands feel uncomfortable. I remember someone saying that to me you know, all of this purpose that you're talking about and female empowerment and race issues and LGBTQI, you know, it's going to make brands feel inadequate and pull away from you. The reality is we have increased our sales revenue and digital audience in every single way, on every metric since we started. And I'm talking about the one. So audiences are ready for those difficult conversations. And I think if you come at
1: it, in a really open way and with love, that they, they're happy to explore. You shared some of the numbers of your first half. Edward of and I met quite a few like times before strategies really resonating. And as he was talking me through what up he wanted 130%, to do, 130%, I remember thinking, "The big shift but here what I is find that really he's taking the magazine some of the other from being about these beautiful like dresses to, to being about a And I think people used to associate British Vogue with fashion ads, those beautiful ads that, you know, Dior and and Vuitton and Chanel and Gucci create, they almost become part of the content. But, you know, rising up in your league table here is technology and, you know, other automotive adjacent sectors. How do you keep the magic of Vogue, which was so much about those beautiful fashion advertisements, when you start getting cars and technology and phones in the pages, you know, how, how do you keep that magic alive? I'm so pleased that you spotted
2: that first of all, because, you know, I I've been a great admirer of the Vogue brand for a really long time, but even I personally was slightly disenfranchised with where it was in the latter stages before Edward took over, just because I'm a woman with a multifaceted life and I love beautiful things. And I love, you know, but I can't give over that amount of time dedicated to just looking at dresses. We have a thick magazine with lots of content and a very full website now, a very full multiple social platforms. And so Edward and I met quite a few times before we both started in the role. And as he was talking me through what he wanted to do, I remember thinking the big shift here is that he's taking the magazine from being about these beautiful dresses to being about the woman in the dress right? So she wants beautiful things, but she also has a lifestyle. She has a career. She has other aspirations. She wants to accessorize the dress. Where is she going? Why is she going to there? What's it attached to? And that's what I fell in love with because we don't buy dresses in isolation. We're buying them to, to go somewhere, maybe to achieve something, to mark incredible moments in our lives. And so that's the big shift for Vogue and to do it with purpose and to do it around women who inspire, you know, more people are likely to buy something they see on someone they feel inspired by than just the sheer beauty of the object, right? The object become more than the sum of its parts based on not just a beautiful model. We love beautiful models, but what do they emote, you know?
1: What's driving them?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I had lunch last week, which was such a treat, just to have lunch, Um, a really nice restaurant with a model who's been on the cover of British Vogue and, and is now doing incredible different things. And she said, one of the things I find so interesting, having been on the cover when I was a very young girl with nothing to say, is that everyone on your cover now has something to say. I shouldn't have been on the cover then. I was just a muse and someone that really lit me up because beauty is more than the aesthetics. We, we love beautiful things. We love beautiful people, but beauty resonates from what people are, are about and what they stand for, I think as well. So that's really important. And the other thing is, which I think is so incredible about Edward, about that non-endemic growth you said is we sat down and he said, look, you know, what do you need? Which is something he says to me often. And I said, look, it's surprising to me. There is barely any jewellery in this. No watches at all. We didn't have a watch editor. Women buy watches. Like this idea that it's a men's industry. There was no motors editor, no motors editorial, tech coverage. And I said, these are the things I'm interested in and I know our audience would be interested in and will also unlock revenue, by the way. So He sets about, you know, got his team to get great editors in those spaces. And trust me, you know, that's taking budget away from other things he might want to spend too. And we've been able to build this huge kind of business in watches and jewellery, Um, you know, millions of pounds of business in um, the motor industry and, 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 because we now not only have an audience who spend in that space, but we have incredible editorial that connects in that space as well.
0: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... Swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury Beyond Limits, experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.
1: You mentioned automotive, and and it made me think of the uh, Forces for Change campaign, which I found really interesting because having observed it from purely a cover concept, a very ambitious cover concept for a September issue edited by Meghan Markle, it's grown into a big commercial force. And you see, you know, global brands associating themselves with Forces for Change. How did you come up and partner with YouTube and, and BMW and those other brands on Forces for Change? And how do you keep it authentic?
2: So this is, again, like this amazing freedom that I have, that it's really about looking at the brand health. So that project with Meghan Markle was honestly like incredible, but one of the most terrifying, exhausting, clandestine things we've ever done. And you know, when you're working on something for such a long time, by the end of it, it's kind of like, where is this going to go? We've had so many iterations, it's changed. It's, you know, when it landed, it was such an incredible moment. By far, we'd never done something like that for a September issue in the history of Vogue with like a composite cover with all of these amazing people. We'd never had a guest editor like that. And it just exceeded everything you know at that point it was our biggest issue in history and so on and so forth and it just started these incredible conversations going back to the consultancy thing so I had brands calling myself and my team up and saying this part was really interesting and how can we do that how can we align to that and by the way we're doing this and by the way we didn't nail this and And so we kind of just collectively started to think there's something here because we want to have more of these conversations. This is a tentpole moment that we want to throughout the year in everything that we do, keep going. It's really expensive to do these things. So Edward kind of said, you know, V, how can we make that work? And and we we decided to have this narrative keep going and to get brands involved to the people that were asking us to partner. Not all of them, because as I said at the beginning, There has to be an intention, I think, and an authenticity with brands to have the right aspirations with us. And that's become our biggest partnership in, in the history of Vogue. We have Nike, BMW and YouTube now on board and they let us drive. The thing that we say to brands in the beginning is that we know you'll have your kind of KPIs and the things you want to achieve. But for this project, this is really about supporting what we want to do. And of course, we'll bring you on board. And of course, we want to, you know, BMW came to us with the idea of a scholarship based on a conversation we'd had, you know, at the beginning at a lunch when we could still, in the first phase when we could do that. And so we're bringing this incredible scholarship to life and, Their aspirations are, of course, interwoven, but it's really about British Vogue driving and them powering those things in a sort of non-intrusive, non-badging way. And those specific partners are the partners who, on balance, would allow us to do that and wouldn't distract from, from those conversations or try to You know, Edward is not someone who wants to be edited from from sharing his kind of true thoughts and feelings on, on any matter.
1: We talked about the September cover edited by Meghan Markle, but I wanted to reflect on some of your more recent covers. There was obviously Billie Eilish cover, which was like one of the fastest growing, liked, engaged, you know, however you measure it. Uh, images traveling on 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 social channels like instagram fastest to one million twice over yeah something like that i knew i'd read that so
2: five minutes it reached one million likes and it's six minutes and then another image was five and then it broke a whole bunch of other records as well we broke the internet i think because.
1: yeah no i mean and then there is malala Yousafzai. you know which you know truly gets to that point you were making earlier about it not being about the clothes that the woman was wearing, but about the woman wearing the clothes. It seems like you're launching these covers in a print. You said your aspirations are to be digital first. It's still, you know, driven by print. It's really interesting to see how these print magazines can drive or print covers can drive cultural moments online. And really, it's now not about the cover on the magazine. It's really about releasing it in a way that has an impact on Instagram. How do you think about covers differently now? And how do you monetize that part of the strategy? It's such a good point, because
2: I think that there's been this narrative for ages that, you know, print is dead. And we still produce 12, you know, magazines a year every month, which is really unusual now. We still get our biggest digital upturns at the point of magazine release. And I still get my biggest requests for collaborations and partnership on the revenue side around cover release. I think because we are in the zeitgeist, we're really doing something that I hope and I'm told often that people don't, can't second guess. So they're not saying, oh, that's the formula. I bet this is going to come next. And I think that Billy and Malala really sort of exemplify that. Here was Billy, who's someone so known for one mode of dressing and one mode of being, who came to us and said, I want to do something different, which was more salacious. And we knew that it was going to be a big moment and there would be lots of conversation around body positivity and around modest dressing. And then skip to Malala, who is, you know, completely modest, but just so radiant and resplendent and both are actually very similar covers, even though they communicate very different things. What our editorial team and Edward really do, going back to my point before, is really connect with women who are in charge of their own lives and won't allow. The rules to be written for them. That's really what the formula is. And these shoots are really expensive, by the way, you know. And so the idea of kind of investing in this way in a print magazine can seem really bonkers. You know, I often have to justify, to be honest. But the energy that they create, the frenzy of, you know, Billy, we sold out on the newsstand so many times, we had to pull, you know, office copies gifted copies etc to keep trying to like feed the newsstand and it just kept selling out for me there is no digital marketing that you can do that would be more effective that our print magazine is our biggest marketing tool and our social media platforms are our biggest agent so one of the things that we do really differently for example is I remember in the previous administration you know I was working on GQ And these notes would come around the building to say, we know that the the Vogue House copies are in, please no one Instagram it. Whereas now I'm sort of like, everyone Instagram it. (laughs) (laughs) And and there is a sense of pride. So we orchestrated this way of working where every single person who's been involved in creating that issue, from the nail technician to whether it be Pat McGrath um, doing makeup, to the photographer, to the talent, but also the lighting assistant, the ad team, the marketing team, you know, everyone who's had a piece of that issue, we say to them, you'll get the assets if you want to post it before. And, you know, and people are proud to have been a part of it. So now you can't really pay for that kind of marketing. So many people, a collection of people, each with their individual audiences, enthusing about it. And then those get reposted and reposted. And, and before you know it, you have this incredible driver of energy around British Vogue. So that's been a really important part of our strategy. And it's just fun and it makes people feel good as well. And the Billy thing was really interesting because Billy at first wanted to just post everything in a carousel, you know, just like one post. And we were just like, no. <laughs> please like draw it out because it's so exciting. People haven't seen you like this. And, and so, yeah, no, it was incredibly exciting and brings everyone closer
1: to the brand. Absolutely. You know, one thing I saw with the Malala cover was this video with Tim Cook on Instagram. And I couldn't figure out whether that was an editorial thing or was that an Apple thing. It was editorial, yeah, completely editorial, yeah. I would love to say that I orchestrated that one, but
2: Tim and Edward had a conversation at at Tim's request, um, and he was talking about some of the purpose-driven things that he's doing, and Edward was kind enough to invite me to that conversation, which was just incredible. You know, when you speak to someone like Malala about doing something with Vogue, what's really interesting is she is not saying, oh my gosh, I'll bite your arm off. She has questions. They're things like, what, what am I communicating? What is... And so she, she's working with, with Tim on other projects. And so it was kind of just a really nice segue. And that's something that Edward brought together and fed into some of Tim's aspirations and Malala's projects around um, education and so on and how she's working with Apple. So it wasn't me,
1: <laughs> but it helped. Now that you've cleared that up, it's so nice to hear that, you know, a smart but purpose-driven strategy can also be really successful from a business standpoint. And I think that's my biggest takeaway today is that purpose and profit aren't things that necessarily have to conflict with each other. You can do both and you can do so in a way that's authentic and that resonates with people everywhere. So congratulations to you on What an amazing story. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just, this was so
2: worth the wait, I think. And I just so grateful to all of the consumers who kind of, and our audiences who've come on this journey with us, which was not the most obvious way to go. It now feels like, you know, we were pushing on an open door, but we weren't at the time. We stretched our audience a lot. And to all of those brands that have pushed our Revenue up and up, and have trusted us navigating difficult topics and interesting new ground. I'm really, really grateful. Um, I wouldn't be in
1: this position were it not for all of them. So long may it continue. <laughs> I hope it does. Uh, I hope that our paths will cross in person at some point soon. Thank you, Vanessa, and um, we'll talk soon. Can't wait to see you in real life. If you enjoyed this episode, Don't forget to subscribe to the BOF podcast for our look inside fashion and how it connects to currents in the wider world. If you're not yet a BOF professional member, join today with our 30-day risk-free trial and benefit from exclusive access to agenda-setting analysis you won't find anywhere else. The BOF podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark, Kate Vartan, and Eric Bria in the BOF studio team.